I'm Dr. Peter Mogazel from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and one of the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Program Directors. I'm speaking with Dr. Patrick Flume from the Medical University of South Carolina. Dr. Flume presented the data on the continuous alternating therapy trial for inhaled antibiotics at the most recent NACFC meeting. Patrick, thank you for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. Patrick, let's start with the basics. What's the rationale for using inhaled antibiotics for pseudomonas treatment? So inhaled antibiotics have become the standard of care for the treatment of our patients. Years ago, when we didn't have many therapies, there were some brave souls that tried inhaled antibiotics, and then eventually science was put to the test and eventually developed antibiotics that were proven to be effective. And essentially, the notion is that we're trying to suppress the infection that we can get good clinical benefit, in this case, usually improvement in lung function and reduction in exacerbations. And what are the typical antibiotics that are used, and how does one use them in clinical practice? So there are two inhaled antibiotics that are approved for use by the FDA, and then there are some drugs which we do use, but they are off-label uses of antibiotics. So inhaled tobramycin, or affectionately known as TOBI, was the first drug that was approved for aerosol use. And then inhaled acetrianam, also known by the trade name Casetin, is also approved. Both of those drugs went through the standard approval process through the FDA. Both of them were developed using a regimen of using the medications either twice or three times a day per their label for a month or 28 days, and then taking a month off. And then there are other medications, typically intravenous formulations, that folks have nebulized for the treatment of their patients. So, Patrick, many physicians find that the use of antibiotics every other month is not adequate for their patients. And I think a number of them are using different strategies, including using antibiotics continuously. Can you comment on that? Yes, the studies that were done initially were based upon a month-on-month-off regimen. And there's a lot of history to that, probably more than we could talk about right now. But that was the regimen that went through approval process. But what we learned from our patients is that they tended to like the month on medication, but had trouble on the month off of medication. And even in during the trials, although lung function would improve during treatment, it often regressed back to their previous baseline when they came off therapy. And there was still a steady progression of disease or lung function decline, as well as you know, frequent exacerbations. And so as clinicians, we're looking for ways to try to make for further improvement And whereas the initial notion about month on, month off was really trying to think that you were trying not to select out resistant bugs, we've since learned that that probably isn't the most relevant of issues. And so people have then moved towards a continuous form of therapy. And when you talk about continuous inhaled antibiotics, meaning you're going to keep your patient on some kind of suppressive therapy every day with no time off, There's really a couple of different strategies. One is that you would use one medication continuously, say, for example, inhaled tobramycin every day. The other is to go with a rotation where you would use antibiotic A for a month and then switch to antibiotic B for a month and continue that rotation. And that's what we mean by continuous alternating therapy, or we use the affectionate acronym CAT therapy. And this has been a process that has been evolving because clinicians are trying to take care of their patients. So when we designed a trial to test whether continuous antibiotics would be beneficial, we thought about which strategy we would use, whether we would go with a single drug or to go with cat therapy. 
And we chose to go with cat therapy based upon one of the studies done in the development of inhaled acetrianam in which patients started with a month of inhaled tobramycin, sort of a tobramycin run-in, and then they were randomized to either inhaled acetrianam or placebo. And those who are inhaled acetrianam saw additional improvements in their lung function. So it kind of added weight to the notion that maybe it might be preferable to rotate the antibiotics. And so that was the CAT trial in which we randomized patients to receive, well, everyone received inhaled tobramycin every other month. And in the in-between, they were randomized to either receive inhaled acetranem or placebo. And we did that for three cycles. So Patrick, what were the challenges in undertaking this trial? The challenge we had was that we had a very difficult time with enrollment. And so when we designed the study, our intention was that we were going to reduce the frequency of exacerbation. That was our primary endpoint. But in order to do that, we were going to need to enroll a fair number of patients. And so our planned sample size was about 250 patients. But as we started enrolling patients, we were having a tough time and had to keep sort of recalibrating because enrollment was falling way behind our expected schedule. And we reached out to investigators to find out why that was the case, why they had such a hard time enrolling patients. There were a number of reasons that that was the case, but there was one that really stood out, and that was because they already had patients on a CAT regimen, rotating antibiotics, and they had ethical issues with taking them off that regimen in which a patient might get a placebo on the interim month. And so despite a long attempt to recruit, we end up only enrolling 88 patients that were randomized to either the CAT therapy or the traditional single antibiotic therapy. Now, in terms of did they improve, the reality is that they kind of did. If you look at things like the primary endpoint the rate of exacerbations was actually numerically less in those patients who were on the rotational cat therapy compared to those who were alternating with placebo. The problem is that we were so underpowered that we can't say that it was done with statistical significance. Nonetheless, there was about a 25% reduction in the exacerbations overall, and that was the same no matter what subgroup that we looked at. When we looked at the time to the first protocol, define exacerbation or the hospitalization rate, those two were in favor of patients who were on a CAT therapy regimen as opposed to the placebo regimen. Again, not statistically significant because we were so underpowered. Well, these results certainly are suggestive that the CAT therapy could be valuable for some patients. How do you think practitioners should look at this data? How should they incorporate it into their practice? Well, I think that if a physician is looking at the data and believe that they need to do something more for a patient who's having frequent exacerbations, they will likely see these data as a positive, meaning it would support their notion that continuous therapy would likely help their patient and to go with a rotational approach. We'd feel much better about that if we could say yes, without doubt, statistically significant differences were seen. But what we realized is this was a real challenge in terms of how to design a study like this or how to conduct a study like this when basic care of these patients was already evolving. While we were designing this study, physicians were already moving towards a CAT-type regimen for their patients. So I think most of those folks are going to look at this as confirming their hypotheses. And were there any concerns in the study with adverse events or other things that we should think about when 
comparing this to the traditional month-on, month-off approach for antibiotic use? So if you eliminate the exacerbation aspect of it, in terms of the side effect profile, they were essentially identical, and they were typical of what you see in aerosolized antibiotic trials in terms of cough or any kind of airway irritation and so forth. So in terms of safety, there was no difference between the two groups. So I think it's perfectly safe in terms of moving towards that regimen. And when you think about you know, design of future trials for antibiotics or other therapies where you're comparing something new to a what may be becoming a standard approach, are there any lessons to be learned from this? I think there's a huge message in there because if I have a new antibiotic that I want to develop for the treatment of cystic fibrosis patients, and as a clinician, I think we need more options because our patients either can't tolerate some of these medicines or they feel like the effect is not as robust as it once was, and so they're desperately looking for newer medications. But we're in a much different era now. When these other two drugs were developed, it was possible to do a placebo-controlled trial over a long period of time where you could really tease out these benefits. Nobody thinks that's ethical anymore because if you have a patient with pseudomonas, you don't want them to go three to six months without any aerosolized antibiotic. And so I already can't do a simple placebo-controlled trial like that. An uh, intriguing approach would be to do the CAT regimen where you could say, well, I can test my drug on the interim months and show that it is indeed still better than the placebo. But as we learned from this trial, you know, we had a hard time enrolling patients in that. And I'm not sure that I could convince docs to do otherwise now if they've already adopted that protocol. And so you sort of move into an area where you almost, if you have a new drug, are going to have to go toe-to-toe with a direct comparison against a drug. And the challenges with that is all dependent upon how that drug is delivered, because if you look at just, say, tobermycin and Acetrianam, they are delivered or recommended to be delivered in different devices. And so when you're thinking about blinding your patients and investigators to the treatment arm that they're on, it makes it a little bit tougher to do that because you can't use the same device and just blind them to the drug. The same with the treatment regimen, because tobermycin is recommended as a twice a day and Acetrianam as a three times a day. So there are some real logistical issues about conducting a true blinded study that would rise to the level of evidence that you want to bring to the FDA. You've brought up a number of challenges, and I agree with you entirely that we do need more antibiotics to be able to treat patients. And I think that this is going to be something that the community is going to need to struggle with to figure out the best approach to getting these therapies approved. The key issue for clinicians is if they believe in cat therapy, they're anticipating or they're getting pushback from the payers because it's an off-label approach to the typical regimen, and they obviously would rather not be spending more money on inhaled antibiotics. But I'm hopeful that the evidence that we had in the cat trial is confirmatory enough that payers would realize the benefit for those particular patients in whom it's been prescribed. I think you're right. This is absolutely a challenge to demonstrate efficacy of medications in a real-world setting so that we can know that they work and know that they'll be effective and safe and that insurers will feel that they are appropriate to be reimbursed. Well, Patrick, thank you for taking the time to talk with me about inhaled antibiotics and the CAT trial. I hope that this has been beneficial to the listeners. And I want to thank you again for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you.